Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Uh, Good morning, church. Let's try again. Morning, everyone. Great to be with you again. I know that it's a little bit chilly. I know that some are away on a holiday. Some of the students and some people are taking a bit of a well-deserved break. Nonetheless, it's great that we can be here together looking at God's Word. And again, being wowed by the book of Acts. I mean, every time it's just like gold coming out of this book. And so I'm really excited for this morning. And especially not just learning from the Word of God, but practically what this means for us as a young church. And so again, similarly... Uh, this church that we're going to read about in Acts is brand newly formed. And so it's going to be interesting to see kind of what are some of the marks of this early church. And we want to pay careful attention to that. Um, If you're here for the first time, my name is Reinhardt. I'm the pastor here at Red Door. And it's great to be with you this morning. And we're excited to dive into this morning's text. If you do have a Bible with you, you can open it up, you can unlock it, or you can watch it on the screen. We'll be constantly following the text very narrowly. Before we do that, though, I'm going to pray again for us. Um, Not just because it's a habit, because every time we come to the Word of the Lord, we want to pray that our hearts get softened and not hardened when we hear the gospel. So let me pray for our hearts. Father, I pray not only for our hearts, but I even pray for my own words and the way that I'm going to explain your word and the gospel. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be working right now. We know that even my own reading and explanation is imperfect. Our own hearing of the word is imperfect. However, supernaturally, you are at work right now in this room and in many other rooms across Pretoria and across South Africa and across the world this morning. And so I pray, work in our hearts, work in Christians' hearts across the country and bring new people to faith. Ultimately, we will have benefit in this, but we want to pray this for your beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, for your glory. Amen. Friends, for some of you that know me, know this weird and interesting fact about me. One thing that I really enjoy doing, even more than buying a product, is comparing the product to other things. I love it. Sometimes the thrill of reading up on something is for me more enjoyable than actually buying the thing that I'm looking at. And it's not like some of you, it's just that I'm bargain hunting. That's not why I'm reading up on it. I just enjoy knowing about a product before I actually go and buy the product. So this weird scenario comes about every time that I go in store, I actually know more about the thing than the person trying to sell it to me, which can be interesting. But um, interestingly enough, one of the best ways to find out or information about something that you would like to buy, let's say if you want to buy running shoes, is to go read up on reviews on the shoes. Because it's actually people who have bought the shoes, that are using the shoes, and they're writing, what are some of the things that they enjoy, things they dislike, some of the pros, some of the cons to that product. And so I go and I find reviews to go and read on it. In South Africa, we, we don't really have an online review culture yet. However, in America, they thrive. They absolutely thrive. I don't know why, Connor, that is. Maybe it's because some of them are more critical than us or the nature. I don't know what it is. But there was a time when myself and Yanin spent some time in the States, and I was looking to buy some stuff on Amazon. Guys, the amount of reviews on Amazon is ridiculous. Yanni is going to put up a, or no, Turkey is going to put up an advert for us. If you were to Google or you want to buy a toothbrush, 
I don't know if you can see the ratings and reviews. 8,800 reviews on a toothbrush. How much do you have to say about a toothbrush? And how much do you need to compare to know what toothbrush you're going to buy? And the problem with this is rather than it's informing other people about said toothbrush, it just becomes a place where people are happy to voice their critique and criticisms. So it's actually counterproductive when you have this review and critical culture of any product. The internet and the anonymity of the internet actually gives us or makes it so much easier for us to be critical and harsh with our words when it comes to things that we enjoy buying, things that we enjoy consuming. And so it just feeds into this consumeristic culture that we're actually a part of right now. And unfortunately, this mindset of I'm allowed to just look at everything and give my review, my feedback of something, actually filters down into the church world as well. Rather than getting some skin in the game, what we're doing is we just love visiting churches and giving our reviews of that said church. It's interesting, rather than thinking that we are the ones reviewing church, we should rather ask the question, how would God review our church? What is the review, the remarks that God would say as he views his bride, the church? What are the things that God actually expects to be part of the church that he created? Well, God gave his Holy Spirit to fill and guide Christians as to how to fellowship with one another. And so when God would review us, the question would rather be, are we a spirit-filled church? Because this is how God started the New Testament church. Are we as a community being led by the Spirit? Family, it's a good question to ask of any church, even of, a, of our own church as well. Are we simply gathering as a church or are we a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit? And that's kind of what today's text is about. We'll see the very first Spirit-filled community of God and what was characteristic about them. And so if we want to know what should be true of our church, what should be the marks of a spiritual church? We want to pay close attention to today's text. And so let's dive in. We're in, as Temba said, we're in the book of Acts in a series that we've titled Saint. We've seen how God sent Jesus into the world. We saw after that how Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that now comes into Christians' lives. And so we saw that Jesus described this Holy Spirit that was going to come into the world as the helper and comforter. In Acts 1 verse 8, we saw that this spirit is also the one that empowers Christians to witness to the world. And today specifically, and today onwards in Acts, we'll see how this spirit enables Christians to live as the saint ones. Today specifically, we're going to zoom in how this community of believers, Christians coming together, live together as a saint community. And this is how the New Testament church started. Last week, we saw how the Spirit was poured out on all believers, or at least on those first disciples. And Peter stood up, and he gave this amazing speech about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people, hearing this speech, hearing the gospel preached from Peter, then responded by repentance and faith. And we see as they responded in repentance and faith and obedience to God, God gave them the free gift of forgiveness and of the Holy Spirit. And then very important, 
part of today's text, but also part of last week's text, is verse 41 and 47, that God added to their number daily. So this is a great place for us to start, to understand the nature of God's church. Two things, even before we get to the rest of the text, two things that we need to recognize about church. The one is, do you see who's the one that's performing the action? God is adding to the church, meaning that this is God's church. And so part of that should actually give us some great assurance that God is the one that will ultimately grow his church and he's the one that will look after his church. So that should fill us with a sense of peace that God is at work. And the second thing to notice right from the start is that, um, just to say, we, we're living in a culture um, where churches and church life is abundant. And living in this culture with freedom of religious expression without having fear of persecution is a great blessing. We can come together this morning without any fear and we can really enjoy publicly glorifying God. And this is a great gift for any community. It is a great gift. However, the danger of living in a Christianized society leads us to almost this critical review of church that we somehow believe that church is an optional extra to the Christian life. Notice right in the beginning of this passage, as God adds every believer, that if you became a Christian, you were added to the church. This means that God does not save someone without adding them to a church. If you consider yourself a Christian, you need to be in a local church for many reasons, but primarily because we see that's what God intends for you. And that just kind of sets the stage for us today to kind of view how this church operates. Because not only did God create the church, add the believers to the church, he then fills the church with his Holy Spirit through every individual. And it's maybe worth mentioning right at the get-go. So a church, even back then, wasn't the temple. It wasn't a place where they were worshiping. It was made up of spirit-filled individuals. And so in this unique passage, we will see what a spiritful church looks like and especially how this church relates to three ways. How this church relates to God, how this church relates to the fellowship of believers, the people around them, and then also how the church relates to the community where they were placed in. So let's get going. Number one, how does a spiritful church relate to God? Well, we see two prominent emotions expressed by the church towards God, one in verse 43 and then another one in verse 46 and 47, two prominent emotions. The first is they were in awe of God, or another word for awe is they were in fear of God. And then the second emotion is that they were filled with joy and praise towards God. And this is interesting. Interesting to see these seemingly two opposing emotions work together. However, when the Bible speaks about fear or awe, it actually doesn't use it in a negative light. When we're in awe of God, it's not talking about a negative emotion or even an emotion that creates distance between you and God. In fact, having a healthy fear of God is what the foundation or the basis is for a healthy relationship with God. So another word for fear or awe of God is having reverence for God. It is the holy understanding that this is the God of the universe that requires our respect, our admiration, our worship, even our devotion. 
So it's unsurprising, therefore, to see that this first community had a healthy awe of God and that the healthy awe of God led them to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to be devoted to the teaching of God. When it says in verse 42 that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, it's much more than just listening to the apostles as teachers per se. They weren't just devoted to the people or the apostles themselves. Rather, it is the apostles that were commissioned by Jesus and the words that the apostles were teaching at that stage were the words of God. They were actually speaking the New Testament into being. We see that it's the letters of the apostles that gives us the New Testament. And we know that they were speaking the words of God because it was affirmed. Even in this passage, we see that it was affirmed by wondrous signs and miracles done by the apostles. But just a side note, we still believe in miracles today. We still believe that God actually acts in wondrous and miraculous ways. But the miracles in this passage is actually communicating something very specific. In this first community, the fact that the apostles were doing miracles were it was um, confirming the fact that they were appointed by Jesus himself. It's a similar reason why Jesus actually performed miracles as well. And we see this in Peter's speech in Acts 2, verses 22. When Peter was speaking, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested you by God. How was he attested by God? with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And so we see that Jesus was attested by God, that he was the son of God. Similarly, we're now seeing that the apostles are attested by Jesus through the signs and works that they were doing. And all of this is just to make the point that a spiritual church is an awe of God, and that awe leads to the devotion of God specifically to the word of God. Differently put, the Spirit of God will lead the people of God to submit to the Word of God. Family, so for us today, if we want to know whether or not we are really in awe of God, then we should look at the way that we view His Word. Is it simply a reference tool, or is it the foundation on which we build everything else? And I've got to be completely honest with you. If I'm not really intentional with the way that I read the Bible or if I'm reading the Bible, um, the words of God very quickly becomes just a self-help book for me or reference to how to live my life or what are some of the things that we need to do rather than it being something in which I find the words of life. Constantly I need to be reminded and I need to be intentional. I'm not just reading the Bible. I'm not just reading God's words, but rather I need to understand this isn't just good advice. This is God's will for my life. This is the words to eternal life. This should even influence the way that we respond to preaching and teaching of the word of God. It's not something that we just go to because we want to be fed when we want to hear a message. No, as the people of God, we want to be submit, submitted to the word of God through his teaching at a local church. This is what it means to be spiritually. This is mean, what it means to be spirit-filled as a people that has a healthy and love, healthy love for the word of God. Coincidentally, leading this way, 
or living this way, living in, a, in an awe of God and living with a fear of God and loving his word will lead to joy, contentment, hospitality, and generosity. That's phenomenal qualities. I want, I want to be that person. I want to be a person that is content, hospitable, full of joy. If you were to describe me, I'd be happy with that CV. Um, and we saw that this was very true of the first community, but they didn't try and manufacture these qualities. Do you guys see that rather than trying to do those things, they were simply byproducts of their love of God? Their reverent fear of God led to hearts being overjoyed with serving God. And here's the counterpoint. It's when we start fearing man more than God that we are robbed of our joy. We fear what people think of us, so we try and earn more and buy more things, and we are discontent. We fear rejection, so we keep people at a distance, and so we can't be hospitable. We fear that we may somehow fall behind in this rat race, so we hold on to what we have and we lack generosity. We fear man more than we fear God, and so we lack joy. To be a spirit-filled community means to be a community marked by joy. And that means being a community that is in awe of God and his splendor. This is how a spirit-filled church relates to God, views God. And that flows into the very way that we relate also to one another. The fellowship of believers, the brothers and sisters, the church folk. And so we saw how we supposed, if we spirit-filled, how we should relate to God now we're going to look at how we should relate to one another. The first thing is to, just to say a spiritful church changes the way that we relate to one another. So these first converts, the people forming the first ch church, they were devout Jews, very religious, living good lives. They were nice people. Um, but we see that the religion alone didn't have the capacity to actually change their hearts towards one another. We need something more than just religion for knowing about God. We need, of course, the gospel of Jesus and to be filled with the Spirit of God. And so this clearly happened to this community. And there was for sure the first revival. This is not just any forming of a church. This was revival happening, and we're seeing an extraordinary movement in people's hearts. And this is great to see. And I know even as we come to this text and before we actually dive into this text, um, that there are some scary and weird and radical things happening in today's passage. And it should freak us out a little bit. Because you know what? Christianity is a radical faith. So before we even explain away everything, we need to recognize two timeless truths of any spiritual church. And the one is, if we are a spiritual church, it will change the way that we actually relate to one another. It will change the way that we interact with one another. And two, it will be radical and it will be countercultural. There's no amount of contextualization or explanation that we can give for, tomorrow, for today's text and how it's lived out differently without these two timeless truths. That this is a radical faith that has radical implications for how we relate with one another. And so specifically, we see in this community from verses 44 to 46 that they had all things in common, they were selling their possessions and distributing it to the needs as anyone had need. They were attending the 
temple daily. They were breaking bread in their homes daily. They were enjoying their food with glad and generous hearts. And so what I don't see the text saying is that this should be the norm for every church everywhere, meaning that we all have to sell our possessions and we all need to kind of live in a socialist community and uh, make sure that everyone has the same amount. However, we see later in the book of Acts that there are many who still own property and possessions, but they use those things actually to benefit and to glorify God. Rather, what today is doing is it is describing an attitude of the heart. These believers were united in their mission. They were looking out for one another, and they spent a lot of time with one another. And this is something that I actually do think that is prescriptive for every church everywhere. I'm a firm belief that the attitude that is exemplified in this passage should be true of every believer in every church everywhere. The only thing that changes is practically how it lives out in different contexts. You notice how they spent their times? They decided to see one another daily. They obviously had the capacity for that, but they decided to see one another daily. They decided to share meals daily. And we see two types of meals shared. The first in verse 42, breaking of the bread. And the second in verse 46, they were breaking bread. The first meal refers to the Lord's Supper, to communion. And so constantly they were using communion and the Lord's Supper to remind one another and to encourage one another of the gospel of Christ. The second meal was they were just eating food with one another. They were inviting one another into their homes and they were building relationship with one another. That which they had, they shared with one another. So this great spiritual church community was characterized by the super spiritual act of eating together. Remembering the gospel and living together. Friends, I think sometimes when we think about the words of spiritful church, or when we think that I want to be part of a spiritful church, we're expecting something else. We only want to see the fireworks. We only want to experience the highs, the revival that we see in the book of Acts, and we miss how God's spirit was working in the seemingly mundane activities of everyday life. Their missional campaign, this church, was built on just listening to God's word and sharing with one another communion and building relationships through meals. Incredible. That was their missional strategy. It's a community that deeply cared for one another. And if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, yes, I want to be part of that community. Yes, I want to be deeply cared for, but you first. Or rather, I'll be part of a community like that the moment I hear God tells me that I need to be part of a community. The moment I hear God actually pushing me to be part of a specific church. Well, friends, do you want to hear God's word this morning? This is it. This is God's word telling you that you need to be part of a community. Do you want to hear God's word audibly? Then just read the Bible out loud. And you'll hear God saying and telling you that this is what he expects from us. This is what he wants from us. Make no mistake, this is God's design for his church. He wants the church to glorify him by living on mission together and deeply caring for one another. If you are not ready to be part of a church like that, know that you are not rejecting a church model or you're not rejecting a specific type of church. You are rejecting God's design for the church. 
And this design is not by accident. God definitely designed the church for his glory and to be a witness to the world, but he also designed it for our benefit. Doing church like this will lead us to be a community that is saturated with joy and peace. And the reason for this is that the Christian community is designed in such a way that, we, that it can only properly function if we support and encourage one another. And the only reason why we can do this is because we know the gospel and we have the Holy Spirit that helps us in this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book, Life Together. It's a, it's a heavy meal to, to read that book, but it's such a good book. If you can read it or listen to it on audiobook, it's a good one. But it gives the following quote. I don't have it on the screen, and it's a lengthy quote, so stay with me. But it's good. He says, The most experienced psychologist or observer of human nature knows infinitely less about the human heart than the simplest Christian who lives beneath the cross of Christ. The greatest psychological insight, ability, and experience cannot grasp this one thing, what sin is. Worldly wisdom knows what distress and weakness and failure are, but it does not know the godlessness of man. And so it also does not know that man is destroyed only by his sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. Only the Christian knows this. In the presence of a psychiatrist, I can be a sick man. I can only be a sick man. In the presence of a Christian brother, I dare to be a sinner. The psychiatrist must first search my heart, and yet he never plumbs its ultimate depth. The Christian knows when I come to him, here is a sinner like myself, a godless man who wants to confess and yearns for God's forgiveness. The psychiatrist views me as if there were no God. The brother views me as I am before the judging and merciful God in the, Christ, in the cross of Jesus Christ. End quote. We need one another because we are broken people in need of grace. We should remind ourselves of this grace daily as well, but there is just something in my heart that believes the grace, that believes the gospel more the moment that I hear it spoken to me by my brother or sister. Somehow, if I'm by myself, I can read the same words and I doubt it, and I'm full of unbelief. But the moment I'm encouraged in my identity by a brother or sister reminding me that I'm a son or daughter in Christ, my heart seems to believe it more. If we do not share life together like this, we miss God's biggest discipling tool through his spirit. A spiritful church is a church that relates with one another in the mundane, everyday things. When we share meals together, it's much more than just sharing food and spending time with one, with one another. It is inviting someone into your personal space. It is the breaking down of social and cultural boundaries as we get to know one another. God is calling us to be a community not just that relates to one another, but actually does life with one another, that can share life struggles with one another, that should support and encourage one another, and ultimately should be joyous with one another. This is how the spiritual church relates to God, to the fellowship of believers, but we also see that there's a specific way in which this community relates to the community around them. Two things are clearly visible from the spiritual church in verse 47. 
One, they were growing and they had favor with the community around them. And this immediately tells us that even though they were spending a lot of time together with one another, and even though they were experiencing revival and things were going well in the church, it did not stop them living on mission. This was a church that was sharing the gospel and discipling the community around them. It is good for us to see that this brand new church wasn't waiting to reach a level of maturity before they started discipling the people around them. No. As they came to faith, as they formed the community, they realized that this is what it's all about. This is the mission that we've been called to. This was natural to them. And so building relationships with one another did not preclude them from building relationships with the people outside of these circles. In fact, what it probably did was strengthen their testimony as they were building relationships inside and out. I know trying to reach or share the gospel or shepherd someone close to you can actually be daunting. But when you do it as a community, it can be so encouraging. Suddenly, I don't have to try and manufacture a scenario where I have all the answers and all the explanations and every opportunity to share the gospel. Rather, I can tap into the resources of the community and help the community witness together with me as well. So in this passage, I'm sure... There would have been, I know John is going to the temple this afternoon, and my buddy Mark is also going to the temple, and that guy Matthias that I want to spend time with, well, it's kind of a public gathering space, and so we can invite him, and together all of us can kind of build relationship and share the gospel with him. What we need to figure out today, we don't have a temple that we can go to, but what we need to figure out is what are those common gathering spaces? What are those rhythms in your natural week or month where we gather or where you like to go to, where you spend time with, and where the city and the people around us spend time with, and we need to be there. And we need to be there communally so that we can spend time with one another and spend time with other people and get to know them and share the gospel with them. Not in a way that we want to trick them, but genuinely appreciate where they're at in their lives and love them for where they are. The other thing that we notice in the way that they kind of related to the community around them is that they had favor with all people. This doesn't mean that uh, nobody disliked them. Uh, we'll see later in Acts that there were a lot of people that did not like this new church. But it definitely describes people's general attitude to this new kind of following or group of people called uh, Christians, or not even back then, it was called the followers of Christ. And we have to say that they had favor with all people not because they were nice people. Remember, this is in a context of Judaism where they're holding to the Old Testament. Now you've got this breakaway sect claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the fulfillment of those promises. And so they were endangering the very foundations of Judaism. And so these people wouldn't have naturally had an affinity to these new followers of Christ. Rather, what this is describing is that these Christians were doing something in the community around them. We, it must have been that they cared for the people around them. When you care deeply for your community, especially for the oppressed and for the marginalized, people notice. People will notice when you get to the community around them. Even if they don't agree with your faith statements, even if they don't agree with what you believe necessarily, there's no denying what you're actually busy with if you're being good to the people around you. 
So this isn't just good tactics from Christians to try to get more people to join our tribe. This is who we are, or rather, this is what the Holy Spirit in us is prompting us to do. If we want to be a church that is truly living according to the Holy Holy Spirit's guidance, we should be a church that loves the city, that loves the people around us. It's because of texts like today that we at Red Door are a church that we want to be mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. So fam, in closing, I I want us to think about the following thought. Two people I want to address. Maybe either going to listen to the podcast or you're here this morning and you haven't joined a church yet and you call yourself a Christian. I want to encourage you to take the plunge because you're missing out. And it doesn't have to be at Red Door Church. It can be in any gospel-centered church in Pretoria or wherever you're at. The goal is not that you join this local church. The goal of this morning is just to say this is God's design that we live on mission together. Not because church life is easy. (laughs) In fact, (laughs) it's got its own problems. It's got its own challenges that we've got to deal with. As with any family, if you've ever been to a family dinner or Christmas party, you'll know that we've got our own stuff. But it's worth it. The investment that we make in this family is absolutely worth it for joy, for contentment, for peace, but for obedience to God. And then I want to encourage those who have already bought in, that are part of the family, part of the furniture. We need to stay the course. I know things will get tough. I know, I know it's hard and mundane sometimes. It just kind of feels like things are going on. Know this that God is working wonders and signs in our midst. He's bringing people closer, people that were far off. And he does this through the seemingly mundane. So we meet up together. So we encourage one another. So we read his word together as we sit under the word, as we serve, as we just break bread together. We're not on the bench. We're not here today to simply write a review of the church. No, we are here because we're on a mission. And not only are we a community on mission, but we are a community equipped and filled by the Spirit of God. Praise be to him for his grace. Let's pray. Father, how great a gift it is that you have not only created this community of believers, instituted this thing that we call church, designed us beautifully for fellowship, but you've equipped us as well. And not just with a tool or something to have as a reference, but with your Holy Spirit. Father, we have to confess that many times we actually miss this fact and we're looking for something else. We're looking for some extraordinary miracle rather than the fact that even the people sitting here today have got nothing to do with one another outside of the gospel of Christ. And so what we have here, Lord, is a testament of your faithfulness. And for that this morning, we simply want to praise you, love you, and honor you. We want to thank you for the local church. We want to thank you for people's hearts that are changed in such a way that they're serving right now. 
that they're loving right now, that they're reaching out right now. And so, Father, even as we're looking towards how we want to grow being spirit-filled, we also want to reflect and we want to thank you for what you've already done in our midst. Help us and encourage us, even as we encounter the daily trials of everyday life, Father. Our eye can be diverted from you as Peter was climbing out of the boat and when he saw the wind and the storm, he started to sink. Father, we like that every day. Thank you for brothers and sisters that can call us back to you. Turn the eyes back to you, our Savior, our Christ. Help us even now to be reminded physically by that as we share communion with one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.